Okay. So the first thing is the problem of evil. If God is good and God is great, then there shouldn't be evil in the world. Since there is evil in the world, there must be no God. Or he must not be all-powerful, or he must not be good. Those are the kind of things that people say. And that's often also called theodicy. And uh, theodicy is a branch of theology and philosophy that attempts to reconcile the existence of evil in the world with the assumption of a benevolent God. And it comes from the Greek theos, meaning God, and decay, meaning justice. And so it means the justice of God, or to justify God. Um, and are natural disasters evil? Technically, they're not. They're not really evil, but they are bad, and we do wonder why they happen, so we kind of lump them in there. Um, let me summarize where we're going. We're going to talk about, is this a good argument? And then, we, like we've been doing with every question, how do the different worldviews answer the question? And because we do wonder ourselves as Christians about the evil and suffering let's talk we're going to talk about some um, answers possible answers to the problem <clears throat> so the first thing is the logical problem or the logical answer the the way it's you know the syllogism is you know if a is true b is true then c is true well you know we've got the statements god is good God is all-powerful. God created the world. The world contains evil. So where's the contradiction in that? Because we would agree with that. Right? Yes. That's really not what they're saying. They stick this thing in there in number four that says the world shouldn't contain evil. Okay? And that's just an assumption on the part of the person making this argument, is they assume that God must want to eliminate evil. But one would have to be omniscient, it would have to be God to know whether or not that's true. Because there may be a good reason for allowing the evil. And sometimes related to this is the idea there shouldn't be so much evil. And then the question is, well, what's your standard? How much is just the right amount of evil? You know, a little less, a lot less. You know, how do we not know that God's allowing the tragedies, the evil, the natural disasters only enough that it's necessary to promote the greatest, greater good? Does that make sense? Okay. And so Christianity doesn't contain, doesn't claim that the world doesn't contain evil. And so this, this is really not, you know, a good argument. And it used to be used a lot amongst the the big atheists that did all the arguing. Alvin Plantinga came out a few years back and pretty much wrote it wrote out, you know, here's what's going on and said this is illogical, this is not a valid problem for you to and and the guys who know their stuff don't use it anymore because they know they can't. That you're still gonna have lay people, you know, who are going to try to use this. So, um, pantheists, they have an answer. Um, they say that everything is God, you know, 
and then everything is one. So you can't have opposites like good, good and evil, and so evil is an illusion. Okay? And that's their answer to the problem of evil. Well, what's wrong with this? Number one, they don't have the right to ask the question or make the accusation because they, there's no such thing as evil in their worldview, so they can't ask us this question. So if a new age person says to you, well, you know, if God, you know, there's evil in the world, so God can't exist, then your first response should be, well, what do you mean by evil? According to your worldview, there is no such thing as evil. So I don't understand why you're even asking this question. You're being inconsistent with your worldview. You're borrowing from my worldview that believes in evil. You know, so that's the first way to talk to them. Um, and, you know, they don't have a good answer for the fact that evil is an illusion doesn't match up with our experience. It doesn't match up with our practice. And we go back to that old um, illustration of what does a pantheist do when you steal their car? Well, they imagine a new one. So. <laughs> right? <laughs> So the naturalist uh, believes that nothing transcends the natural world. Everything is a ma material. Okay? So they really can't believe in an objective good. We talked about the problems with their view of morality. You know, so there really is no good and evil in the naturalist worldview. It's just a matter of subjective pre preference. And we use the example of I like vanilla and you like chocolate. And so you know, if they complain about evil then you're just saying, well, that displeases me. But it's not objectively evil. And so what two things are wrong with their view? It's the same thing. They don't have the right to answer the question because they don't believe in evil. And so we point that out. And um, they don't have a good answer for why evil does exist. You know, They're asking the question because they have a God-given conscience and all of that. And so you know, they know there's something wrong. But they can't explain it. So the theism view, the Bible says that God created a good world, Satan fell, um, <clears throat> man, he, he tempted Adam and Eve, they sinned, man, man's nature was corruption, corrupted, creation was cursed. Um, and so you know, Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. But God is in control and he uses the evil and the natural disasters and the suffering to work out his plan. So this is our answer for the problem of evil. We talked about God is in control. Well, Isaiah 45.7 says, I am the one who forms light and creates darkness, the one who brings about peace and creates calamity. And Amos 3.6 says, If an alarm sounds in a city, do the people not fear? If disaster overtakes a city, is the Lord not responsible? Do these verses mean that God causes evil? It says he's responsible. What the other one's saying? Creates calamity. So is he really doing this? The words there used for responsible and create is a word that, um, generic word that means do, make, act, create, fashion, or shape. So, you know, it's possible that you know, 
He's shaping the events to do what he wants, to use them the way he wants. And we have to balance things like that with the rest of Scripture. And in Romans 3, 5, it says, If our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms. Absolutely not. For otherwise, how could God judge the world? So if he was the author of evil, then he wouldn't be able to judge the world because he'd be the creator of it. Um, Some examples of God being in control. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart. We all know that story. There are several places where it said Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then there were several places that said God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I went back and kind of read through and looked at the, when it happened. And Pharaoh did it about five times. Then God did it. Then Pharaoh did it. Then God did it the rest of the time. So, you know, I think the thing that's going on in Romans 1.18 applies here where it says God gives people over to what they want. You know, so... Pharaoh wanted that. He did it first, and God just helped him along with it. Um, do you all have 50-20 vision? Do you know what 50-20 vision is? I might that, have it. You might <laughs> <laughs> Somebody told me that years ago, and that's really helped me always remember Genesis 50-20. Does anybody know what's going on in Genesis 50-20? Joseph's brothers are standing there and they're worried dad just died and they're worried about what Joseph's going to do. And Joseph says, don't worry. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so he kept the nation of Israel as slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And how is that a good thing? If they they hadn't been slaves, they probably would have intermingled with the Egyptians and the nation's identity would have been lost. And so God said in Genesis 15, when he's given Abraham his promises, he goes, now your descendants are going to go and be slaves in a foreign land for 400 years while the Amorites' evil gets just as bad as it needs to be for me to destroy them, basically. Right? And so he's, he's using the famine and all these things and keeping them safe, but he's also allowing this evil to take place. And he's using that to protect the nation. So he's in control and using stuff. And then Romans 8, 28, um, God works all things together for good for those who love him and uh, are called according to his purpose. Paul used that a few weeks ago as the uh, opening verse. We somehow took it off on a Calvinistic debate. But I think that what should have happened <laughs> was that we should have looked at this verse, you know, more along these lines of, you know, when I lost that $30,000 a year job, oh, goody, that means I'm going to get a $50,000 a year job, right? I wrecked my Volkswagen, now I'm going to get a Mercedes. I mean, that's not what that means when God works all things together for good. He's using that loss of a job to work in my life to get me to you know, know him better. <clears throat> well, it works out uh, according to his sovereignty. Yes. In my case, I lost my job in New York, and so did my wife. When we came here, I got double the salary. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it does work out that way. 
because God is good and gracious and, you know, and he does things like that. But, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. No, and you it know, depends on his... Uh, praise, praise him, praise God when it does. for you know, individual life. Yeah. <clears throat> so... Um, God created everything good, but man rebelled. Nature, Satan, men were cursed. Um, men were cursed. There was no death before the fall. But God does not cause evil, but He does control the outcome when evil happens. And how He can do this is beyond our understanding, but that doesn't make it untrue. Um, Some possible answers. It is a legitimate question because as Christians, even though we have a good answer for the problem of evil, we still go, how does God, How could God allow that? <clears throat> so some of the answers are it's necessary for free will to work. Um, if it was impossible to disobey God, then we wouldn't have to choose to obey. We, God didn't want robots. Okay? He wanted people to voluntarily uh, worship him. And related to that is the, it's necessary for human growth and virtue. If there were no dangers or difficulties or disappointments, then how would you develop character traits like patience and endurance? If you couldn't steal, how would you be honest? You know, So there has to be this ability to fail in order to, to have human growth and, and virtue. Remember the movie The Matrix? Where people were living in the pods and powering the machines? Morpheus told Neo, he said, well, we, the machines created a perfect environment for the humans, but they couldn't survive, so they had to create a, an environment with problems, right? And crime and all that. Then the humans could survive. <clears throat> and they did another movie not long after that, was uh, The Island, where they were raising clones on this island, but the clones wouldn't survive either because they had no purpose to life and so they created the lottery, and so the people had hope. <laughs> so here, <laughs> what they didn't know is if they won the lottery, that meant they were about to die. die. <laughs> so, so they were they're, yeah. So it's kind of funny when you see these movies, and they they you know touch on some of these themes you know a little bit. Okay, it's necessary to promote the greater good. What is the greater good? Um, most people would say that it whatever promotes human flourishing and human happiness. Do you remember we talked about Sam Harris last week, and he was talking about that was his idea of what was good and made things you know evil or good was what promoted human flourishing. Um, but that attitude is the result of humanism, and where he where the man man is the measure of all things. Um, and man has taken the place of God. But why is human flourishing the measure of what is good? What's the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism? What's, what's the chief end of man? Yeah, what's the chief end of man? And what's the answer? God's glory. And the joy of joy. Yeah, to him. glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I think that's the only one I ever learned. <laughs> So, 
the purpose of life is to glorify and know God. It's not human happiness. God's role is not to make life comfortable for us. So if we're looking at some event and trying to figure out how that event resulted in human happiness, then we might have difficulty seeing that. However, if we recognize that the evil which causes human suffering is leading people to know God, then we can see the greater good. And that's back to our Romans 8.28 passage. God uses that suffering to work in our lives to bring him closer to him. So, if they have a tsunami in Indonesia and thousands of people die, they were all going to hell, right? Because they didn't believe in God. But then Christian workers come in, minister, the gospel's given, 300 people get saved. That's 300 people that maybe now are going to heaven as a result of the disaster that wouldn't have gone in the first place. And so, you know, that that's one of the ways to look at things more from um, an eternal perspective. So, um, who was the greatest evangelist? Trick question. Where does the church grow the most? When it's under persecution. Right. So... While Mao Zedong was killing 20 million people, 75 million people became Christians. Right? So God's working inside of that. Definitely evil and suffering, and the church is growing. I teach history to our kids, and you know we're working through the first century, you know, first few centuries, and the church is growing, you know. Like by leaps and bounds until Constantine declared it the Catholic or universal religion and, you know, then slowed down and got corrupt. But they were doing better under persecution. We haven't still gotten over the slavery issue here in America, but is there a way of looking at that where God used that for a greater good? There wasn't a lot of missionary work going on in Africa, right? 16th, 17th, 18th century. But all those people that were brought over here, Christianity spread big time amongst the slaves. And so there's people that would have never heard the gospel and God used the evil system and worked through that to bring people to him. Can you think of any other examples? Well, related to what we just talked about is the temporal suffering compared to eternity. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, this momentary light affliction is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. The the suffering that goes on, you know, for 50, 60, 70 years on earth, the way you handle that is going to affect how you spend eternity. It may affect how you, that you actually get to spend eternity with God, you know, and if you know maybe there's rewards and stuff related to. It. 
Um, the, God is the author of life. When God takes somebody off the earth, he's not ending their life. Everybody lives forever, right? It's just a matter of where you're going to live. And so if he wants to move you from an earthbound existence to an afterlife, wherever you're going to be in existence, he's the creator of life, the author of life. He knows if you are going to repent or not. And so for him to, you know, you take the Canaanites, that's a big problem for a lot of people. How could God command the annihilation of the Canaanites? Well, we go back to the Genesis passage where he says, I'm going to let you guys sit in slavery for 400 years until their, their evil is complete. Because he, they were beyond repair. They were beyond salvation. You know, When they aren't, like in Nineveh, he sends Jonah. But with the Canaanites, they were guilty of just horrible sins. Their religion was all about sex. Because it was all about sex, they had a all these extra children that they didn't want, so they burned them on the altar of Moloch. You know, sometimes I think we're not a lot better because you know our society's gone gotten pretty bad, and we have I think it's now up to four thousand abortions a day. You know, we got so upset about the three thousand people at the World Trade Center, nine eleven, but. There's got to be some consequences for that. So it helps me to think about the fact that everybody is eternal, that you know what's going on here is nothing to compare to, to what, what eternity is going to be like depending on how we respond to the suffering. And then sometimes, though, you know, it's too complicated for us to understand. We don't understand how God can use every situation. You know, we, we're sometimes fortunate to hear that the guy laying in the hospital bed suffering witnessed to his neighbor and he got saved, but it doesn't always happen. There's not always something that's visible to us. <clears throat> so. um, the, um, sometimes people try to say that God created evil because he created Satan knowing that he would fall. Um, but uh, that's not very good good logic. Um, you know, the answer would be that he created beings with, with volition, with free will, and, you know, let them do what they wanted to do. Um, and the evil and sin are not creations of God, they're corruptions of his creation. And so, like, cold is the absence of heat, darkness is the absence of light. Evil would be the absence of good. Christian, Christopher Hitchens says um, that he blames evil on religion. In his book, God is Not Great, he makes the claim that religion spoils everything. So, um, How come he spoiled and he's not religion? <laughs> Christopher Hitchens is no longer an atheist. <laughs> Did you hear that? Did you hear that? He actually died this past year. So, yeah. um, and he recognized that atheistic societies had a worse track record for killing people. And so he tried to say that communism and socialism, that those became religions. And so it was religion that did all of that. 
Um, so how do you answer his question? Number one, we point out that it's just his opinion that things are spoiled. Because remember, an atheist just has opinions about good and evil. He doesn't believe in... He doesn't have an objective uh, view of evil. He doesn't have a way to explain how evil gets here. It's just his preference. So he's borrowing from us when he asks that, when he makes that statement. And second, I think that denying the fact that it was atheism that killed 100 million people in the last 100 years. Because communism and Marxism are based on atheism. That's their core belief. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, Douglas Wilson wrote an answer to what Hitchens said. And he says, Hitchens has a worldview which is entirely invisible to him. He sees that other people believe what they do and they build their law orders accordingly. But when he proposes when he proposes a law order, it is suspended in midair based on nothing other than what everybody knows. But everybody doesn't know it. And so the system has to be modified to what everybody who matters knows. What is that called when everybody who matters knows? We've used the phrase a couple times. Well, if it's someone who matters, that implies that there are others who don't matter, so they cannot be everybody. Well, that's true. <laughs> it's true. Remember Animal Farm? Anybody here read Animal Farm? You really ought to read Animal Farm. They got rid of the farmer. The animals took over. And so the pigs kind of stepped in because they were more equal than everybody else. The pigs, the pigs ran, ran the show. And so it was uh, satire? What's the right word to describe that? About socialism and communism. It was really good. <clears throat> yeah. Might makes right. Okay? So that's, that's what he ends up believing Wilson goes on to say, all cultures are incarnational outworkings of a religion or a combination of religions. When you deny a transcendent God, this does not eliminate the need for a God at the top to make the system coherent. It just means that the applicants for the position of deity are all, to use one of Hitchens' favorite words, mammals. It can be just one mammal, as in North Korea. Or it can be 50 million mammals with a system of primary elections, a general election, topped off with an electoral college election. If there is no God above the system, then the system is God. All societies are religious organisms, not just the ones with religious exoskeletons. So what Wilson is saying is that atheism is in fact a religion. It's just that man is at the top. And man is what's being worshipped. And Hitchens doesn't seem to recognize that. When he says religion spoils everything, atheism's one of them. <clears throat> so all the other philosophies can't explain the problem of evil in the world. Um, but if you have a creator who creates a good world and a fall, um, you know, then that explains why there's evil. <clears throat> If what's running the universe is random chance, then you can't complain about evil. And people in rebellion against God, a good God explains the evil acts of men. 
and a fallen creation explains the evil disasters. Any any thoughts or comments or questions about the problem of evil? Does that solve your problem? big question and I guess we can approach it here is the origin of evil. <laughs> the origin of evil? <laughs> well, I mean, I think it starts with Satan. You know, he created the angels first. Satan wanted to, didn't want to worship God. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be God. Yeah, but the problem is not who he started with. Why or how could it possibly start with him? When we read the, the description of him in Isaiah and Ezekiel, it was perfect. He was like the crown of creation. He yeah. was right up there after God. I agree. <laughs> how could Adam and Eve do what they did? You know, we sit back and go, we would have done the same thing. But, you well, know. no, but they were <laughs> tempted. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. <clears throat> it's hard to explain. Very hard. Okay. Related to all of this evil and good and immorality is the nature of man. I read a book called The Deadliest Monster by Jeff Baldwin, and he compared the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with the story of Frankenstein. You ever thought about those two books with your worldviews glasses on? Even if you never read them, you know the stories. What was the world, what was the nature of man view in Frankenstein? Was Frankenstein basically good or was Frankenstein basically bad? He was a monster. Wasn't he an accident, quote-unquote? <laughs> I, no. I think he had some good in him, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was... He was. Uh, the idea behind the book was that Frankenstein was good. Um, <clears throat> what about Jekyll and Hyde? Oh, that was... <laughs> yeah. Well, Jekyll was good. Hyde was bad. Yeah. Jekyll was a uh, um, rich... You know, upper class doctor. There was no society making him bad, right? So, but he had this evil side to him that was fighting to take over. There were a couple quotes from the books. Frankenstein said, I was benevolent and good. Misery made me a fiend. Make me happy and I shall again be virtuous. So, Frankenstein was basically good. Jekyll says, it was the curse of mankind that these incongruous personalities, the good and the bad, were thus bound together, that in the agonized womb of consciousness, these polar twins should be continuously struggling. People don't write like that anymore. <laughs> uh, did you write that? No. <laughs> I don't even know who wrote. Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. I don't know who wrote Jekyll and Hyde. So, Baldwin says that we all identify with one of these main characters. We either think we are Frankenstein or like Jekyll and Hyde. So, his question is, which monster are you? 
And the way you answer that question forms the foundation for your your worldview and your beliefs about reality. <clears throat> and so the, the, the main question as we talk about the nature of man is, is man basically good or is man basically bad? And pretty much every non-Christian religion and theology, philosophy thinks that man is basically good. Um, <clears throat> and those, even those non-Christian religions, you know, they th- they come up with ways of saving man. That's which I don't understand. If they think he's basically good, why he needs saving? Yeah. But there's mechanisms like enlightenment, social reform, etc. But those are all people that are part of the Frankenstein crowd. Dennis Prager said one time on his show, he goes, why do people do good things? We ought to have a, an hour on that topic. You know, nobody ever asks that question. Well, why don't people ask that question? Because he would, I started to call in and tell him why, but I don't call in. But the reason nobody asks that question is because people think that people are basically good. They're surprised when they do bad things, and so they want to know why did they do the bad thing. So... <clears throat> um, I guess I got here. What does the world believe? Well, let's look at our three worldviews. Pantheism. Not only is man good, man is God. We've just forgotten our oneness. So we're we're uh, we're good. The solution is education. We need to be enlightened. We need to have our spiritual eyes open so we can visualize world peace. Pantheists have just really bad answers for all of these questions. It makes you wonder why someone would be one. Uh, naturalism says that man is the product of his environment. He's just a more highly evolved um, animal. Uh, this was the underlying assumption of people like Pavlov, um, Skinner, Maslow, um, they felt like um, the mind was a myth, that thoughts were simply chemical processes responding to physical stimuli. I think I watched the movie Total Recall, the new one, when I was studying all this stuff. And they used that exact line in the movie talking about the dreams that they were about to implant, <clears throat> the vacation dreams. So, you know, our society's bought into this kind of you know, stuff. And we see it in Hollywood all the time. So man simply responds to his environment, the stimuli. And we don't have free will. You just if you find yourself committing a crime, it's because, you know, you it's not your fault. You know, it's the way you were raised. It's because of, you know, your circumstances. So you shouldn't be punished. And so we, we hear a lot of, you know, excuses in our courts and People are not responsible for what they're doing. Like the they insanity claim and this and that. Yeah, right. Remember that illustration in the first lesson where the teacher said about the vandals, people who vandalized the school properties, he says, we know they're basically good kids, but they come from underprivileged homes. Okay, so you know, we, can, we can see people's worldviews coming through. <clears throat> so there's a couple problems you know, if I dive in front of a car to rescue someone, then I shouldn't take responsibility for that either because it's not, I mean, it's just, I'm, it was in my genes to do it, right? It was my circumstances that, the way I was raised. But that's not how it works. We want to take 
credit for our good deeds and not take credit for our bad deeds. <clears throat> Another problem with it is um, if man is basically good, then how did we get this bad society to start with? If everybody was good and we had a good society, then everybody would have stayed good. So they can't explain how things got bad with this view. If you think about this in politics, we can see it very clearly. Communism and Marxism and socialism are based on what belief? Man is basically good or man is basically bad? Good. Yeah, what is the... What is the philosophy, what's the one line that describes the socialist ideal? We're all going to work to the best of our ability, and we're only going to take what we need. Right? Equality. Yeah. Except for the Politburo. Yes, well, yeah, but no, it, it's this belief that we're all equal, and we're all good, and we're all going to work really hard for the good of the community, and then when it's time to, you know, reap and take, what, take from the pile, we're only going to take what we need. Has that ever worked? No. Didn't work in Russia. You know, they abandoned it. Chinese abandoned it. I think Putin may be trying to re-implement it, but it hasn't worked. It's it didn't even work. Huh? That's just imperialism. It is. It is. <clears throat> well, when the Puritans, pilgrims, I always get them confused. Maybe they're one and the same. But when they landed at Plymouth Rock, they implemented communism. We're all Christians. We're all going to work hard. We're going to pool our resources. And we're going to only take what we need when it's all, you know. They almost starved to death. And so the next year they said, okay, everybody's going to grow his own food, keep all of it for himself, and he can trade the excess. And then they prospered after that. So even with a bunch of Christians, you know, in, in Plymouth, it didn't work. So what about capitalism? What's that based on? Man is basically good or man is basically bad? I think at its root... It's belief that men are selfish. Right? Now, hopefully a person with stuff, extra stuff, as a Christian is going to be generous and give to other people. You know, and that's how it works out a lot of the time. But if your foundational point of your political system is dead wrong, then it can't succeed. You know, capitalism has its problems, but it works. A French philosopher, political philosopher, recently said that nowadays when he wants to debate a Marxist, he has to import one from an American university. <laughs> so why are there so many socialists in America? Well, they're being consistent with their worldview. But why can't they be a socialist in America? Because they don't have to live their worldview. Okay, they can 
They can criticize the way we do things, and they can pretend that it works and ignore history. <clears throat> Let's take a look around your house. Um, do your uh, kids leave the dishes on the table or in the sink? Do they make their beds? Do they clean up after themselves? Do they mow the yard? Do they, do they find things to do for the good of the family and the community? No. You have to nag them to death. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you could nag them or you could train them. So, if people were basically good and loving, then kids would be looking for opportunities to do good and you wouldn't have to train them. So, um, well, that wouldn't work because the brain's never developed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't hear it. I said that wouldn't work because the brain's never developed. Well, that's true. Yes, that's true. <clears throat> um, evolution, naturalism also says that there's a tendency um, towards improvement. Well, um, so we should be good in getting better, according to this view. Because it's evolution. You know, there's improvement. And they don't just apply it to biology. They apply it to other aspects of life. Um, but we know that things tend to fall apart without an external force maintaining it. So um, the Holy Spirit would be an external, really an internal force that would maintain the good. <clears throat> but you can't just teach morality and expect men to follow the rules. People don't usually do what they know is right. They do what they want to do, what they love to do. They do what makes them feel good, what gives them power. And you know, education doesn't make people good. It just makes smarter sinners. <laughs> and anyone who studies history knows that nations start off good. They grow. They become immoral. And then they fall apart. Yes. Right? We saw it in Babylon, Syria, Greek, Rome, Judges. And we're seeing it in America. Yeah, I mean, the founding fathers, for all their faults, they were Christians. They, be, you read their letters, and everything was about the gospel of Christ. And they put together a constitution, forward-thinking, knowing that man is basically bad. That's why they have checks and balances. They didn't want anyone to be able to get too much power, you know. And so they were looking to the good of their, of the next few generations, trying to put together a plan that would, you know. With, the, with bad men in mind. And now you compare the in the post-Christian world that we live in, what are our politicians doing? You know, it's all about getting reelected, getting power, getting more money. You know, we're going to, they spend money not caring one bit about the next generation that's going to have to pay for it. Because it's, they're selfish. It's just all about themselves. Disregarding the checks and balances and doing whatever they want to do. Right. <clears throat> now, of course, there are altruistic people, people who do good. Um, we are made in the image of God. The, the the idea of total depravity doesn't mean we're all as bad as we can be. Right. You know, so people still do good things. Um, Nietzsche pointed out he didn't think that 
altruism was a good thing. He thought it was, he, he thought we should be selfish. That's what he promoted. And he said, he pointed out that altruism really has been very rare except for when Christianity was around. So for the history of the world, it's, it's not normal for, to, to see much altruism. <clears throat> so, um, the biblical answer is God created man in his own image, so creation explains why we are capable of great good. We're because we're in the image of God. Um, Genesis 2, 8, 16 and 17 says God put them in a perfect environment with everything they needed. That goes against what the um, naturalists say, where they said you know it's the environment that causes you to be bad. They were in a perfect environment and they still managed. <clears throat> But then man disobeyed. And so the fall explains why man is capable of great evil. Um, another thing I thought would be worth talking about is um, how does this idea of man is basically good or bad affect some theology, church doctrine. Universalism, the idea that everybody's going to heaven, has become a lot more popular recently. And I I think that it's interesting to notice the parallel between church doctrine and culture and things that are being taught in the culture. A lot of times, I think our theology, a lot of people's theology comes more from the culture than from scripture. And so in, a, in an environment, in a culture where there's not a lot of responsibility for your actions, then that would translate into there's not a lot of responsibility in eternity for your actions. And so everybody goes to heaven. Is part of the uh, Catholic Church doctrine that the church will bring in the reign of Christ on yes, the earth? Yes, the Catholic Church believes, I think, in inclusivism. And I believe inclusivism is the idea that it takes Christ to get you saved. It's Christ's work on the cross that gets you saved. But even people who never heard of Jesus are going to be, if they're sincere in whatever it is they're sincere in, doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, Jesus, they're going to, it's Jesus' blood and their sincerity, their works. That, and that there works. is the mother of a God, you know, advocating for you, so. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that always helps. Uh, Pelagianism. Um, I think he lived around 350 or 400 A.D. Pelagius categorically denied the doctrine of original sin, argued that Adam's sin affected Adam alone and that infants at birth are in the same state as Adam was before the fall. As such, he insisted that the constituent nature of humanity is not convertible, it is indestructibly good. As all his ideas were chiefly rooted in the old pagan philosophy, especially in the popular system of the Stoics, those were the people I think that just had a bunch of rules that they followed to be good, <clears throat> denied, denied their pleasures. Rather than in Christianity, he regarded the moral strength of man's will when steeled by asceticism as sufficient in itself to desire and to attain the loftiest ideal of virtue. 
the value of Christ's redemption was, in his opinion, limited mainly to instruction and example, which the Savior threw into the balance as a counterweight against Adam's wicked example. So that nature retains the ability to conquer sin and to gain eternal life, even without the aid of grace. So Christ was just an example that we're supposed to follow. And I've heard that several times by different people. So this has plagued the church in various forms throughout the centuries. Can you think of any other theological results? How it's affected other theologies? So, in conclusion, um, a person needs to recognize that he's a sinner before he sees the need for a savior. And if you, uh, you know, do away with the idea that if you teach that man is basically good, then that really strikes at the very heart of the gospel. Luke eighteen, the young ruler comes to Jesus says, "You know, good teacher, what must I do to be saved?" What do you, why you call me good? Only God is good. You know, what does the law say? Well, I've obeyed my parents perfectly my whole life. I mean, this guy did not know that he was a sinner. And so Jesus pointed him to, well, go sell everything that you have. And he went away grieved. Well, Jesus knew his weakness. <clears throat> but he had to get him lost before he could get him saved. I had one person thought that the Bible contradicted itself because um, here Jesus is telling him the way to get to heaven is to sell everything you own. The other one over here it says you just believe, but he was not telling him how to get to heaven. He was trying to get him lost first. So it keeps a lot of folks outside the church from coming to Christ, and it even keeps a lot of folks who go to church and think they are Christians from recognizing their sin and their need for Jesus. I was watching a Mark Driscoll video a while back, and he told a story of going to another church there in Seattle to talk to the pastor who was concerned that their church wasn't growing, and Driscoll asked him something about whether or not he preached Jesus, and the church, the pastor said, we're post-Jesus. Post Jesus? How can a church be post Jesus? That's like a swimming pool being post water. I mean, but that church was just a social club where people got together and were encouraged to be moral, and the church was dying. So, anyway, any questions?